yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome to the standard of the tempest-tossed true crime industry. I'm Burl Bearer. Next to me, Mark Boyer, a fact checker. The program True Crime Uncensored, produced by Magic Matt Allen. Our friend Kathy Scott's the world's leading expert on the murder of Biggie Smalls. She even details how many bullets went into the man's body. Times three bullets were non-fatal, and the, the uh, uh, fourth bullet uh, hit his chest and abdomen, and, and they couldn't um, stop the bleeding. He was unconscious and pronounced dead within um, minutes after arriving at the hospital. They tried to revive him, but they couldn't. I understand that there are different people who have different theories and different opinions on who did it yeah, I, and I what. go on evidence. I go on evidence, not theories. Yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> The facts are pesky <laughs> things, but what have you uncovered factually that leads us anywhere? Well, it, well I think factually, there, and there was one one situation where it looked like there was some evidence. Biggie was being booed while he, you know, he he gave some um, awards at, at an awards ceremony, and he got booed when he was in. You know, he's like, "What up, Cali?" and and they um, and this crowd booed him and. Uh, so he wasn't quite welcome because of the East Coast. There was an East Coast, West Coast, you know, East Coast for Biggie Smalls, West Coast for Tupac, so kind of a rivalry going on there. And the, and the media picked up on it and so did fans. So he got booed. And then, uh, and, and, and this was six months after Tupac was killed, so there was still a lot of animosity. And he, um, uh, what Biggie, uh, what uh, Biggie Smalls' producer Sean Combs did was hire Crips members. So apparently, Biggie was hanging out at Looters Park or whatever the park is to hang out in Crips territory in Compton. They, um, you know, in South Central, they, um, South Central LA. He played basketball with those guys, and then they said that Puffy Combs wasn't paying them to bodyguard, and so some have said that was. You know, that was retaliation against Biggie for Sean Combs not paying them their security fees. But that's been debunked by yeah, police. That, that, doesn't, do no. that doesn't sound like it no. uh, holds much water or anything. The, why the wouldn't you shoot Combs? You know, yeah. If he's the one who is paying. Why didn't they shoot Puffy instead if that was true? I mean, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Well, they, yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense. So why would you, you know, that, that exactly. And so they that, that got killed pretty quickly, although you see people talk about it. The one thing that was interesting is at the same time, Loretta Wallace, um, Biggie Smalls' mother, you know, obviously got wind of the LAPD connection where there were rogue cops within working for Biggie, working for Should Knight, who was Tupac's record producer. Should Knight happened to be in jail at the time, but you can do a lot from jail by phone calls and visiting, you know, talking to the people who visit you. So the word there was that Should Knight hired one of his guys to, a security guy to hire this guy named Muhammad and to open fire. And Muhammad happened to kind of look like the composite photo, <laughs> the police photo. That's another story that I won't go into. But, um, and he, and then Valetta Wallace, of course, that's what she was suing for because there was a connection within the LAPD that one of them uh, was you know, a then-former cop 
I was one of the ones who had something to do with hiring someone to kill Biggie Smalls on behalf of Suge Knight. Suddenly, um, the it, it just suddenly the case of Valetta Wallace settled quickly, and she was quite adamant to go through. You know, she she fought this for a long time, for years, seeing that LAPD. And suddenly, the case was dropped by the judge, and LAPD dropped the investigation into these people, and um, it it, um, it so it's never it's never fully. That, that part of it has never fully been investigated. But, as you know, there is no statute of limitations on homicide That's or murder. That's right. There is no statute of limitations on homicide. That's why people who, who do such stupid things as videotape themselves committing crimes and post them on YouTube, <laughs> especially if it's murder, which has yeah. been done too. Hey, look what we did. Uh, it's not a wise idea. Uh, we've even seen yeah, that's the evidence. 25 yeah. years after the fact people being arrested for murders. Oh, yeah, committed. 50 years, yeah. So there's no statute. So should Knight, um, there was just such bad blood. I mean, there wasn't as much bad blood, actually, between Tupac and Biggie. It was all Tupac. You know, Tupac got shot at a studio in, in Times Square where he was recording, where he was on his way to record Biggie and and. And uh, Combs happened to be in the building at the time recording as well. And somebody told Tupac that, that they they had it done. And, of course, they didn't. It was just a robbery gone bad, basically. And and they stole a lot of jewelry off of him, just grabbed jewelry off of Tupac, $35,000 worth off him and his homies. And um, so that, uh, and the police department dropped that one as well. You know, they, they, they investigated for a week. So for a week? They investigated the murder for a week? That Manhattan police, the Manhattan uh, uh, office of the NYPD investigated it for a week, said Tupac was um, not cooperative, and they dropped it. But, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of shooting victims are dead. And they can't cooperate. So when did that become a criteria? Yeah, it's just hard for the dead people to give very, very reliable testimony. <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> I know this lovely so lady who do a seance. Yeah, a seance. Yeah. yeah, you could through a you know a trance medium <laughs> or a Ouija board. Yeah, so that but so Tupac kind of blamed Biggie for that, but that wasn't any, and that was and he just kind of kissed him in records, and they kind of, you know, got pissy with each other back and forth lyrics, and that was about it. But with Should Knight and and that and, and Bad Boy Records, he, you know, Puffy Combs was up and coming, and he and and Bad Boy Records was, you know, had a lot of good rappers, and and took a couple of them away, I think, too, and. Suge Knight, you know, because of Tupac's killing and stuff, and he was in and out of jail, Suge was, so his his record company was failing, and he was, you know, ticked off at, at Puffy Combs, and so that, that to me is, it's the only thing where the evidence um, stands that Suge Knight, of course, has been convicted of murder. <laughs> what a coincidence. That film, um, out, out, Straight Out of Compton, you know, or whatever that film was that was done, and he went to that burger outfit or whatever and drove to talk to the producer, and there were two people there, and he happened to run over the, run over the person, not once, but twice. Yeah. 
Well, if you, if you go over them, you put the card in reverse, and then go back over them again. That happens a lot. Yeah, twice. Yeah. Oops. So he uh, he killed the poor guy, and so he he was convicted. So he he they threw away the key on him. But um, I I don't I don't quite understand. I mean the Rampart scandal and corruption within the um, LAPD at the time. You know, um, but it, things have since changed. But usually when you see a new regime come in and the old, the other guys are gone, that somebody picks up the mantle and starts investigating right, it again. Right. So hopefully, and they they released the files. Um, the LAPD released the files um, a few years ago. That was a joint investigation between a couple of jurisdictions and the FBI, and they say it flat out that that's what they thought it was. But then they suddenly ended it with no explanation. Ended the investigation. The LAPD dropped it without explanation. Well, speaking, so, of, speaking of the ramparts, if you go on the uh, LAPD website, you know they're supposed to do a filing quarterly on how they've corrected things. Uh-huh. They have never met the mandate of what they were supposed to do. To yeah, it had, they, had, they had a few world cops within. And the interest, you know, the FBI does not cover um, murder. You know, that's a state charge. Right. And so their, their role in it was to look at the money, you know, where, where um, Suge Knight got his money. And um, they were looking into that, and of course it overlapped into the murder case. But when the LAPD drops a case um, for homicide, and they're heavily involved in it from a different angle, boom, the whole thing ended. Yeah. You know, which hopefully somebody within the LAPD, an investigator at some point in homicide, or the chief, somebody will, will take another look at this. It's like Tupac. They could easily solve it. They could just name the killer in, in Las Vegas, and they just won't do it. Just won't so, do it. I think this is this. Uh, the car that pulls up alongside Biggie Smalls and Impala, whatever it was, and she reaches out and shoots it. And I didn't, I didn't get a copy of it because I wasn't at the news conference. And this is a few weeks after he died. They released the composite drawing. So when I called in 1999 or 2000 because my publisher wanted some photos plus I you know I wanted to look into I wanted to look at the photo I saw a grainy one in the newspaper he sent me one that wasn't the one in the newspaper so I called him back and said did you do two composite drawings well we don't know what you're talking about I said well this is different there's a signature on the one you gave me there's no signature on the second one so the second one was altered a little bit, so I asked the question, and that's what I asked in the book, was this photo altered to make it look like Muhammad, like the guy Amr Muhammad oh, or whatever that's a hell of a question. That is a very brave question, <laughs> Kathy Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they no wonder I love you. <laughs> a true crime writer <laughs> after my own heart. And I'm the only one who reported it, and and because it was just so obvious. So what they did was two weeks later they released one that looked a little bit more like him, a little bit darker skinned because they said he was lighter skinned. Um, he had kind of sallow cheeks and um, wearing a bow tie like Farrakhan, and in the Impala, a dark one. And this Amir guy happened to have a um, he's a suspect, not not convicted, allegedly had a dark 
colored Impala himself, which I don't know how popular those were in, in you know, at the time, but um, it, but they, and I said, was it altered to make it look like him? And uh, no, no, it wasn't. We only had the, I said, well, can I have, can I have the original photo that was done from who was the artist? And they couldn't tell me who the artist on the second photo was. So the first photo was clean, had a stamp, police, um, uh, composite artist. And the second one didn't have that stamp on it. Mm. So I don't know. I'll leave it up to the reader to decide. Ted, time. Go ahead. Mark, Bo Mark, Mark, Mark Boyer has a question for you. Did either of the composites look anything like um, Wardell Pucci Fauch? No, no. It's interesting. No, that's that's uh, you're looking at the, at the. I don't even like to say his name. The copy's no longer walking on this earth. Um, who had this theory going? His theory kind of, you know, there's a lot of animosity and bad blood within the police department. They all try to get each other. And so he, um, Russell Poole, that's his theory that there was somebody else who was involved. And then this other guy who wrote a book, that makes no sense. But because I go on facts and people I interview and, and people who don't have, you know, a queen for a day or, a, you know, they say this and they get off on one crime and get a lesser sentence. Right. You know, they do a plea bargain. I'm, I'm not really into that sort of thing, but um, that's what happened in this case. And he, he interestingly enough, Russell Poole had made an appointment to go into the police department. I'm just throwing this out there for an appointment to talk to the LAPD about this very topic. And he'd, I think he'd already done a book. He'd already had something self-published a book, I think. And he had a heart attack when he was in the witness room with them. In the in the um, in, in the interview room with them. Wow. And I. <clears throat> I wonder if there was something serendipitous yeah, you, about you had that. Silence. <laughs> yeah, silence. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah, you, just you don't know. <laughs> Died of natural causes of a heart attack. But anyway, so he's no longer walking this earth. But he was he was kind of snooping around quite closely to it. But I think he was going down a rabbit hole. He was close, but. Is the other the other thing adds up. There's actual evidence for um, circumstantial, but there's actual circumstantial. Um, the guy was there at the you know the the you know the people who knew his whereabouts, um, meetings between each other prior to it, um, and it looked like just a, a visits to jail to see Shug by both people, including the shooter and the person who supposedly hired the shoot, alleged shooter. And, um, you know, I believe in evidence. I believe in connecting dots, not, not adding right, some and going right. off in another direction. Now we, we share a similar theory along those lines. The truth is better than supposition. <laughs> Mm. Well, the truth makes sense. Yeah. Nothing else does. <clears throat> and that's why, you know, when people are giving you these theories and stuff, the truth the truth makes sense. It's like, you know, Orlando Anderson with Tupac. He, afterward, he, he went home that, that Saturday or that night and just bragged all of the town that weekend. And, and the Compton PD, which is now defunct, but the Gamecocks, <laughs> top Gamecocks, and, and, uh, 
in uh, Compton said he was just going all over the place. They practically handed him. Then they then they um, they had a gang roundup. Tupac was shot in September '96. In October, they had a gang roundup. They had Orlando Anderson found a Glock, which Tupac was shot with, in his house. And they they decided that the 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 uh, I asked if ballistics were done, and all I all I was told was they were inconsequential. And my thing is, did you send it to Quantico, Virginia, to the FBI for the no. to their lab, which is the top lab in the country? I mean, put, Tupac did have some you know bullets inside his body, some you know, so there there were ballistics that uh, that could have been done, but. Um, we'll never know on that one, but um, but with Biggie, it's um, yeah, just odd circumstances. Kind of sure, you know, the LAPD doesn't seem real eager to bring in some of their own to discuss what may have happened. Oh no, just in case they're gonna cross that blue line somewhere, they can't do that. You don't break the blue wall of silence. <clears throat> Which, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's too bad because his mother, too. And I don't know how that, if there was a settlement, I'll have to look it up again, but if there is a settlement involved, um, that she was quite eager to go to court. And she did go to court, but they um, they were uh, hearings and stuff like that, but they dropped the, I think one case was dropped and she immediately filed another one, and then that was the one that was um you know, wrongful death, and that was the one that was suddenly dropped without explanation. You know, it's, it's fascinating. There's a particular homicide detective whose name I won't mention because aside from this story, I really admired the guy. Uh, he was telling me about the uh, the solving of a homicide case, and he rattled off a few of the facts and he gave me the, uh, you know, like press release sheets and that sort of stuff. And being a, similar to you, my way of looking at things... I noticed that if A were true and B were true, then C was not this guy. And I pointed that out to him. I said, you can't have it both ways. If this is true, this man didn't do it. Exactly. Yeah, you have to follow. You have to follow. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Sorry about my dogs. Um, you have to you have to follow. You know, a car drives by. I live in the mountains, and it's a real quiet road. And a car goes by, and they're like, well, "Get off my lawn!" So I said to the to the, de- said to the detective, "That doesn't work. If if you're telling the truth on these two things, and you establish those as facts, this man couldn't have done it." And he just yeah, looked. exactly, and that's what you have to do. And it's disappointing, you know, instead of sometimes, you know, what it feels like, I mean, in, say the Ted Binion case in Las Vegas, they decided who they thought killed, you know, yeah. Ted Binion wasn't murdered. He, he self-overdosed. And and uh, they decided that his girlfriend, living girlfriend, did it, and then they made the facts follow behind it. Right. And guess what? It doesn't add up. Because no. you can't. You can't make that stuff up. I mean, they found a skeleton, uh, you know, a costume or something you hang up at at, at um, during Halloween and a decoration, and they used that as evidence against her. And it was just almost comical. And, and of course, she was eventually acquitted um, in a second trial. They appealed and got a second trial and got a, out of town, Tony Sarah, to come in and... Oh, and I like Tony Sarah. Corner. I like him a lot. We've had I him on the show. Tony, yeah. 
or have you. Great guy. Yeah, I got to hang out a little bit with him because a friend, a friend of mine was a courtroom artist, and she was in the courtroom the whole time, and she's very, very good friends and had been for 30 years. Good friends with Tony Sears. Yeah, so we had her on the show, too. And everything else. <laughs> we had them both on. Huh? We had them both on. <laughs> oh, that's right. You did, because she wrote his, uh, she wrote his uh, biography. Yeah, yeah. And then we had him on. Yeah, that's right. And I got to ask him my favorite question. What's the difference between a confidential informant and a paid witness? <laughs> to which he replied, absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and a paid witness no, is illegal. You can't have a paid witness, but you can't have a reimbursed yeah, confidential informant. Yeah. Well, they have they have paid they have paid experts, and we have Michael Bodden in the courtroom, which became a joke. And then what's his name? The other guy who's the uh, he was in the courtroom for the other side. Um, oh, what is his name? He's famous too, a medical examiner, and and they both were opposing uh, opposed to each other. I interviewed them both, and and um, they just go with whatever you know, whichever side, whatever side hired them, paid. Yeah, they paid. They just paid a boatload of money, and um, to fly in from New York and everything to do it, and and come up with it. But his theory was a joke and got blown out of the water. And that was the second trial. It took Tony Sarah to come in, and you know they said that she pressed on his chest and pushed on him so much that she his his chest became concave from a button. Well, his chest was concave his whole life, and his family testified to that. He was born with a concave chest and it was almost comical watching him throw Michael Bodden out of the water on that one and the jury believed um, Tony Sarah. He, he's interesting to watch in trial. It's quite fascinating I feel privileged to have been in the courtroom for four weeks with him you well, know, watching like him in action. He really follows, as you say, following the facts, keeping it straight Yeah. you know, what's real here you know, let's deal with what's well, Tony, real Tony's Tony Sarah, you know, never represents anyone he doesn't, um, he, he, he thinks is guilty. He won't, he won't represent guilty people. He only represents, you know, he's out of San Francisco. Yeah. He's, a, you know, he's quite a, quite a character, but it was quite a, um, he's quite a weed smoker too. But, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting watching him. You know, he's got his gray ponytail and, and at the end of it, um, the, uh, Joe Bonaventure, the judge at the time, said to him, um, this is a Las Vegas courtroom, Clark County, said to Tony said at the very end, it's been, it's been my pleasure to have you in my courtroom. And do you know what Tony Sarah does? What? Put both hands up, both hands together and bowed his head. Oh. <laughs> just perfect, um, perfect. Very a little, a little bootish, you know. Yeah. Kind of was a nice, nice touch. I thought. Yeah. I had a, an interesting experience one time. I was the only time in my life I've been arrested, and I wasn't guilty of anything. But I was charged with a DUI, and I don't drink, and <laughs> yeah, I was not under the influence of anything. And I passed the sobriety test, but they arrested me for DUI anyway. <clears throat> so. Uh, <laughs> I hired the guy who wrote the book, uh, DUI uh, Defense in the State of Washington. <laughs> he wrote the book. And uh, <laughs> very expensive, but fortunately at that time I had the financial resources to cover it. <laughs> and uh, this was in Little Linwood, Washington, a little town. And uh, yeah. 
I got up in front of the judge and, and uh, I uh, objected to the date of the arraignment, first of all, which is important for people to do. If, if it's been more than 72 hours, it's more like three months. And uh, the judge said, very good. He says, you must have a, a very competent attorney. Who is it? And I told him, and he just looked stunned. He said, is he going to defend you in this courtroom? And I said, he certainly is. And he turned and looked at the prosecutor and said, well, that should be very entertaining. <laughs> All it took was about 35 seconds of him coming in to the courtroom, walking over to the prosecutor, sitting down, talking to him, came back to me and said, well, they're making an offer. The offer is also illegal, but I suggest we take it. They say that if we if they drop everything, you can sue them for false arrest, so they want you to give them something. And I said, okay, tell them I, I was going uh, 15 or 30. You give me a traffic ticket. Okay, sold. <laughs> well, it's interesting what happens when, a, you know, there's a competent uh, defense attorney. You know, it's interesting to watch. You know, people don't get, um, they don't necessarily get what they deserve. And, and so many people are incarcerated wrong, wrongly, you know. And look at that case recently out of, I forget which state, Tennessee or something, 40 people, you know, arrested mostly black on an, a one officer's account and every single case was thrown out but people served for like 10 years wow yeah this was just recent 13 percent of the black community in this one town were arrested on one on the word of one and what he called a sting operation there's no evidence no no police reports he said he kept everything in his head or he oh, lighted on and his this, and they believe this they blew, and they, they, uh, the jury believed it, and oh. then they went back, and um, they didn't even go. They didn't even go to trial a second time. They dropped. The, they dropped the charges oh, against all. And they just recently, a couple of them just recently were released. It's pretty awful what happens, and people are just at the mercy of the court, mercy of the DA's office. You no, know, we had a fellow on the on the program a few years ago. His name escapes me. He wrote a book about his experience. He was a police officer. And uh, the, uh, whoever the boss is, chief or whatever, says to him, hey, someone is uh, suing or whatever over the conviction of this person. Uh, will you please look through all the police reports and make sure that we did everything right? And he goes back to the chief and says, uh, actually, nothing was done right. Everything was done wrong. <laughs> these people, are, these two guys are obviously innocent. You know, they should be let out. They obviously didn't do it if you look at the, you know, the case. Well, they told him to shut up. But he didn't because he felt the, the right thing to do was to get these innocent people out of prison. And he kept yeah. on that until he did get them out of prison. He was correct. Or out of jail, right? Out of jail? Yeah, or prison because it was a murder case. Oh, well, they were, oh, so they were convicted. Yeah. Uh, but the yeah, whole thing it's, was it's bogus. Horrible. It's horrible. But, yeah, I mean, but here's what happened to him. Yeah. He lost his pension because one of the uh, things that you oh, can't. Yeah, one of the things you can't do is reveal city secrets and it was a secret that these guys were framed therefore he lost his pension good isn't that amazing they yeah. took his pension away from him because he did the right well, thing well he was a bad he was a bad cop though no right? no, he no. Was, no he was the good he was guy the oh, cop. he was a good guy yeah. well then that's re that's retaliation almost yeah. that they do that uh, yeah well no good retaliation. deed goes unpunished yeah what was it yeah uh, that's true the, the other one the CSI scandal what were they Send six innocent people to prison. They they finally let them out. 
But it's like a conspiracy of these six people. Well, well do I know you? <laughs> they were all sent away. And I didn't know each other. No, no. It's obviously a conspiracy. Uh, it's just too bizarre. You know, of course, yeah, again, uh, yeah, there's a lot, lot out there, and it's uh, it's unfortunate. But the, you know, with the, going back to the Biggie Smalls book and that Biggie Smalls case, you know, and, I, and the same reason was same with Susan Berman when I covered her case. It was unsolved at the time, and now Robert Durst, as we know, is is, on, is going to be on trial this year Fine. for her murder. And, and and Tupac Shakur, it, it you know I like to write about those cases because they can be solved and yet they're not and and it, it just is is uh, just a travesty of justice not to try very hard to put these cases to bed and they just don't want to do it. Yeah, some of them are so strange. Like uh, when we had Susan Murphy Milano on, uh, she was talking about one case in Oklahoma. With the, oh, she was a good friend, Susan was. Yeah. Bless her heart. Rest in peace. Yeah, she, the, the fellow had been shot twice with two different caliber bullets, and they called it suicide. Well, if I <laughs> if, if I could go to shoot myself in the head, the first one doesn't work. I'm gonna go in and get in a different gun, a different bullet, and try it. Oh, that's, like, that's like in Nevada, you know, when the big joke was there'd be a mob, uh, there'd be a mob hit, you know, and there'd be there'd be a body in the desert, and the police would go out and they call it a suicide. Be one bullet to the head, and there'd be no gun, yeah. no weapon. No, isn't that amazing? <laughs> in the back of the head too. And they still, yeah. <laughs> the trick shot takes a lot of practice no, was, to shoot yourself in the that head. That was back, back in the sixties, seventies, eighties, and they call them home, uh, call them suicides. It's hilarious. Yeah, just getting back to that one where I told you about, where the detective told me, you know, who did it and why, and it didn't make any sense. And he looked down and he said, "Well, we closed the case." Yep, closed case closed. Yeah, that's it, King. You know, this case is closed. <laughs> yep. So yeah, they, they do like to tidy up, and you know so whether it's wrongful or not. I mean, it, it, it. You know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, the majority of people within law enforcement and within, you know, the DA's office and stuff. I think they all go in for the right purpose, and I think along the way, some of them, you know, a small percentage hopefully get yeah. get kind of twisted a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Well, there was that study done, and LA didn't come out too good on prosecutorial misconduct. Yeah. Uh, that was a while back, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a few years ago. But it still is, is disheartening. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, I covered... Uh, I, the, Mark will give me a bad time if I plug one of my own books. No, no, I won't give you a hard time. I'll just I'll just make, no, make note of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a poll here on yeah, how, how long, long into the how show How long into the show does it take for I plug one of my own books? How long does it take for him to talk about his own books? Which yeah. one, girl? Uh, <laughs> headshot. Where you had, ah, where yeah. you had multiple trials, mistrials, hung juries, veteran, all that stuff. And there was so much prosecutorial misconduct. The judge says this case is giving me excedrin headache number eight hundred and twenty-nine, and stormed <laughs> off the bench and wouldn't come back. <laughs> was that in L.A. courtroom? Where was that? Yeah, that was in Tacoma, Washington. Ah, uh ah. -huh. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, that's why the prosecutor said the first one through the door gets the deal. <laughs> 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 you, you, you shouldn't say that out loud. 
Well, and then it's important for, you know, us, people like you and, and all of our fellow crime authors who, who write about it and all the journalists out there, thank God for, for journalists in, in uh, Washington, D.C. But so much comes out, and and without without the free press, you know, we wouldn't be able to write about it. So we're very lucky that we get to do it, you know, and, and let the public know what really went on or yeah. just give them the facts and they can decide. You know? Yeah, but the important thing is giving them the facts. That's what, what yeah, is that current exactly. lawsuit against uh, Fox by uh, the company that makes the voting machines? Oh, yeah. Multi-million dollar lawsuit for slander. Billion. Yeah, billion. Billion yeah. dollars. This last one was uh, $1.9 or something billion. dollars. They're going to hit them, hit them hard. They'll be settling that one pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah you, gotta, you can't you can't just spew lies on TV. You 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 have to be held accountable for it. If there's no proof of that, you can't you can't just doesn't you know. It's, well, that's you why that's why they don't have uh, Fox in, in Canada because the Canadian law forbids you to do that. Uh, you can't do that. <laughs> we don't have a law just, against just the facts, ma'am. Yeah, uh, you, you in America, lies are even protected speech under the freedom of speech. Unless it crosses the line to inciting violence, or you know, or or personal injury, or personal injury, wrongful you know, death, you no know, crying, uh, crying fire in a crowded 70, 1876 Virginia City style bar. bar. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember when the the the, uh, the the woman was advised if you're being raped, don't yell rape. No one will come help you. Yell fire. You I, I never heard that. Yeah. That was advice. If you oh, that's rape, terrible. Yell fire. Fire, fire. People will come to help you. <laughs> but not if you yell rape. They'll be too scared. They'll stay away. I was, uh, oh. um, when I was uh, younger. That was years ago. That uh, was a while ago, yes. Uh, I was on, uh, I, I got called to jury duty every year. It was like clockwork. And then when I finally hit a certain age, they stopped bothering me. <laughs> I don't know what the, the hell. The senility factor, no doubt. Which is I'm why. sorry. Would, would you say your name? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I was on a uh, uh, a case uh, in the 70s, late 70s, a group of roommates, and they had a fight. One of the roommates was, in air quotes, a martial artist. Yeah, right. And so he was threatening them with various martial arts weapons. Okay, fine. Well, those are, those are, that's a weapon. Your hands are weapons. Your feet are weapons. Well, okay. So um, yeah. this particular courtroom was responsible for um, parole, um, here, whatever to do with paroles. And there was a steady stream of people coming in to the courtroom to a bailiff on the side, in the uh, side away from the jury uh, to conduct business. And this judge was never involved in the case. She was just distracted too much. And at one point, the, de the defense attorney, his first live trial, uh, takes the defendant and attempts to bring him one of the weapons. I don't know if you know what a nunchucks are, but it's basically... Oh, yeah. Two, yeah, yeah it's I two cylinders one. with a string in the middle. And you swing it around and you smack people with it or defend, yeah. you know, you knock weapons away. Yeah. And he was walking up to the defendant to hand him the weapon to ask him if this was his. And, you know, within, you know... Just within, as he's starting to hand it to them, the judge wakes up 
to what's going on, and I still can hear the blood curdling. Oh, no. Was <laughs> <laughs> afraid they're going to use it on the judge? <sighs> Hysterical. Do you think they were going to use it on him, or did they? Okay, well, no, no, no real violence occurred. But he was uh, being charged with assault, and in in case those listening don't know, assault is different than battery. Battery is physical contact. Assault is the threat. Right. Okay. And one of the charges uh, against this individual was brandish. Now. At no point during the trial in evidence did it indicate when he had the nunchucks in his hand what he did with them. There was no indication that he uh, twirled them. Of course them he was about to show everybody. Or lifted <laughs> yeah. them up. This is what I didn't do. <laughs> and no, no testimony was, was issued on what, what happened with those items. And so the judge read the instructions uh, for the different pertinent parts of the law, and we go back to deliberate. And we were stuck on this brandishing because we can't, from the legal definition and from the from the testimony, we can't establish how he held and uh, manipulated and or displayed that particular weapon. So yeah. through the through the bailiff, we sent a question to the judge. You know, can you further explain brandishing in context to the position of the weapon at the time? the charges supposed to have occurred. And she came back with, you have all you need. Quitted him of that charge. Good thinking. And then uh, some schmuck who was the jury foreman, you know, I don't have to guess who that was, um, basically crapped on the judge, said, look, we had no way to, to, to decide this charge because there was not enough evidence and you chose not to help us. <laughs> chose not to help us. So as, that, as a result of those items, we acquit. That's telling them, kind of like, what was that, John DeLorean? With jury nullified the whole thing? Yeah. Said, you should all be ashamed of yourselves. I'm surprised. Have you ever had any death threats, Kathy? So somebody said, um, someone ought to uh, cap your white middle-aged ass. Oh, you uh, cap you your white a, ass. Oh, huh? my. Oh, oh, my. That's a small target. I've seen you. That's a, you're, you know, you're a thin lady. You're going to have to use a scope. <laughs> What does what, what mouthwash but have to do with it? Tupac was quite a figure and quite an influence for his generation and generations to follow. I mean, he was so incredibly talented and uh, far beyond his years, and, um, and, and his legacy is alive today. So um, once they saw that I gave the full picture, then they everybody was fine with it, but that was... But in the, you know, I mean, it was, you know, I always said I was more afraid of the cops than I was yeah. of, of citizens. But um, I believe in sunshine. So if something comes out, I did get threatened by um, some person who worked for a, 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 the attorney, uh, or it wasn't, it was an attorney who was helping with the case in the Binion case for the second trial. And, um, he left me quite a terrible message, and so I, you know, at the time I was writing for the Alternative Weekly City Life, Las Vegas City Life, right, right. so I just quoted him in the, I didn't say who it was, I just said what side he came from, 
and and I said sometimes when when we're working in in this field, you know, the boogeyman mm-hmm. comes comes out of the darkness and jumps in front of us and says boo. And, but I actually quoted the the message. It was stupid that he left it on my recorder. You know, when remember when we used to have yeah. telephone was recorders? It wise? I hey, still this, have one. Yeah, this uh, hour went real fast. God Thank bless you, you, Kathy. Uh, the murder okay. of uh, right. Biggie Smalls, available at the end of this month, in all forms. Earl! Yeah. What's next? As you spent out on the Demons of Decadence, live for the Light of the Blounds, on OutlawRadioLive.com. Oh.